0: We took this approach that we kind of call the three C's to source our portfolio, and that is to curate something. So organize it for your community to help make sense of it, to create it. There are some things that don't exist, and you're going to have to invest to make it. And other is to commission, to have someone else put it together for you.
1: I'm Salisa Steele.
2: I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
1: Welcome to episode 308, which features a conversation with Veronica Diaz. Veronica is Director of Professional Learning at EDUCAUSE, an international nonprofit professional association whose mission is to advance higher education through the use of information technology. Veronica and Jeff talk about micro-credentials, mentoring, professional pathways, personalization, the need to reevaluate COVID pivots, and a three C's approach to sourcing your portfolio of offerings. Curate, create, and commission. Jeff and Veronica spoke in May, 2022.
2: Can you tell us a little bit more about EDUCAUSE, who you serve, how you serve them, and maybe even a little bit more about uh, your role in doing that.
0: Sure. Well, EDUCAUSE is a a nonprofit professional association, and our membership is made up of organizations. Um, We are international, so we have about 100,000 individuals that we serve Um, through about 1,700 or so member organizations, and they are all focused on higher education. We do have several segments in higher education, which includes folks like teaching and learning practitioners, IT professionals, which includes security professionals, privacy officers, folks like that, and then other campus leaders too, like presidents, provosts, um, institutional research, data analysis personnel, and, and professionals. So... Um, It's quite a diverse audience, and together with my team, we support just about everything that a professional might need as they advance their career. So that includes things like mentoring, micro-credentialing to recognize the learning and accomplishments, volunteerism, as well as short and also extended immersive online offerings. Some of them are in person, although not many, as you can imagine today. And most recently, something that we're calling the Professional Pathways Initiative. So yeah, just everything that you might need to grow and develop in your career as a professional.
2: And now I imagine just because of you know everything that's happened in, in the past couple of years, it was a time of, obviously significant disruption for everybody, but I think higher education in in particular, the whole pandemic was really disruptive in in terms of, you know, the demands of particularly for technology to address now delivering learning remotely, really changing the university model in in many ways. I mean, I assume it had to be a a very busy time for Educause that your audience, your membership was really looking to you for, for guidance during that time.
0: Yeah, definitely. We, it was a bit of a serendipitous moment for us because we had, as part of our reimagining professional learning work and goal was a multi-year project to take a look at our leadership and management portfolio of offerings. And we had to kind of reset them, make them competency-based. We aligned them to workforce research Um, And we put them online. And more importantly, most importantly, we ended up putting them online. And the timing was really good because it was right around that time that all the face-to-face offerings kind of stopped. And we were able to pivot and accelerate the development of the remainder of the offerings. And so we were well-positioned, and we have seen a lot of growth in the portfolio. And it's interesting because those offerings – the leadership and management offerings that is support the early professional all the way to the senior executive professional and in and of themselves, they're kind of a mini pathway, you might say. And so those were a nice framework for everything else that we had to do for the professional pathways initiative. And through that work, we were able to identify gaps to figure out how we needed to support new audiences and new ways and really round out the portfolio and also develop shorter things, right? Not everything that we had was lengthy multi-week programs, but there was plenty of opportunity for shorter engagements and for just-in-time courses to fill in the immediate needs that were just popping up it seemed like every other week there was something new that we felt like we could do, whether it was research or learning opportunities or mentoring or networking, all of that. We were really challenged to think about how to reimagine it and and do it online in a very high quality way.
2: And you're a return guest on the Leading Learning Podcast. And you know the last time around, you and Salisa focused on What Educause was doing at at that time with micro-credentialing and mentoring, obviously something you've continued on doing, and and we'll be sure to link to that episode in in the show notes for this episode. But could you maybe give us a a little bit of an update on, you know, and an overview of what's happened during the the, the intervening months and years, kind of what you're doing in those areas now that's maybe different from where you've started, how you've grown and, and evolved?
0: Sure. So both of those services have grown just like everything else in the online portfolio grew. The micro-credentialing really is an outcome of verified learning experiences. So that scales and grows along with everything else that we do. And the mentoring really became critical because we saw so many people that were getting promoted into new roles or wanted to explore possibilities of working in other sectors. I mean, there's a lot of influx into higher education roles and out too. So some people wanted to talk to the private sector companies to see what is it like to be an IT professional in that setting. So mentoring became even more important than we ever imagined it would be. In fact, today we have over 600 participants that participated at no cost and of their own will in the platform that's been working really well for us. So there's been a lot of growth in mentoring and micro-credentialing. And we've learned a lot in terms of what it takes to scale offerings, how we can develop things that are personalized to people's needs, not, not just in terms of content, but also content, but the level of where they are and what they need at that time in their career. And that has really led to delivering an integrated portfolio of products and services. So that's really where the professional pathways comes in is it's not enough really to have the buffet model in this this job market and this economy. It's really a employee's job market. And so this is a tool I think that we can use to make sense, help people make sense of all the different things that they can take advantage of, make sense in terms of which one, when, how much, and and then how to talk about it. Uh, Once you've completed your learning, how do you share that? How do you leverage that? All of those pieces, the onus really was on us to bring all that together into something that made much more sense to professionals, especially new professionals who maybe don't have a lot of experience in managing their career or never have thought about what is my career going to be and how do I make a, you know, kind of a year by year plan, sometimes month to month plan on what I'm going to, what I'm going to do to get to my goal short term and long term. So that's some of it. And then I think one of the key challenges that I'm sure many folks like us in professional associations, trade associations, is this question that's looming of when do you go back face-to-face? Do you go back how much? What happens with the online? I mean, we're seeing so many questions about that in terms of what to expect in the future and what's viable, really. So that's kind of a challenge that we're we're still kind of considering and thinking about how to how to deal with.
2: But right now everything you're doing with respect to the mentoring, for example, that's all happening online.
0: It is. Yeah, it is and it kind of has to be because mentoring isn't something that you can just do at a conference over dinner or lunch or on a break and then be done. And we're seeing people commit to we can tell through the platform they're committing to 6 to 9 months, sometimes longer. And they do it when they have time. Some of them do it outside of their, you know, work hours or or they have multiple mentors. Some of them want mentors that are related to a particular topic area like I have to learn how to lead my organization's change initiative. Others are doing it around something more personal, like I need to plan you know, the next two steps in my career, and I need to talk to somebody outside of my unit or outside of my organization to figure out how to do that effectively. So it really does well when it's done virtually apart from a in-person setting, I'll say.
1: At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you are looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com slash services
2: it sounds like people can sort of pick and choose and and move in and out of mentoring relationships based on you know what they need at a at a particular point in time is that true and is there is there an average length of a of a mentoring relationship
0: yes yes so imagine if you will kind of an online dating scenario where you complete a profile you you know tell the profile all about you, and then the matching happens through the platform. But then you are served up kind of a, a card sort of different people and you can see who they are, you can see where they work, you can see their areas of expertise, the areas that they're interested in developing, So you can kind of browse through there and pick who you think would work best for the need that you have today. So it really does personalize the solution to the individual. And then those people have already agreed to be mentors. You know, they're in there on purpose for for that reason. So this also overcomes the barrier of the awkwardness that maybe some of us have even experienced of not knowing who to ask and not wanting to burden somebody with asking them to be a mentor, right? It's awkward and and especially the higher up you go, people are really busy. So I think it's even more intimidating to ask somebody. So it's just such a wonderful way to help people who aren't connected or who don't know how to get connected. It's just been paying off in spades for us. And we're we have such a high satisfaction rate People tell us, in fact, we talked to somebody today who said that they have three different mentors going and they love it. It's very rewarding. And also, it has the other benefit of, you know, the more you coach and mentor, the better you become at doing that with your own team. So I think it's a, it's not a one-way thing. I think uh, the mentor learns as much as the mentee does. Sometimes it's peer-to-peer mentoring. So they're both learning. You're just making, you know, a new relationship that is around your profession, but you know, we all know you can get close and and really develop a lasting friendship too. So, it's just been really a very powerful tool for us.
2: And remind me, is the mentoring directly tied into micro credentialing? So, you know, as part of receiving a, a micro credentialing, would you have mentoring be a part of that, or or is the micro credentialing tied more into more sort of I guess structured or formal coursework?
0: Yes, today microcredentialing is more connected to to learning outcomes because the micro-credential in many ways is kind of I don't like a knowledge-based artifact that says something about what you can do. But we do have a set of our constellation that is focused on volunteering because we learn through volunteering as well. And so we've been thinking about how now kind of in the second year of our mentoring, how we can recognize individuals that are serving in specific areas because we actually know a lot about our mentors and mentees so it would be possible to award a micro-credential for somebody who has served you know maybe you give it a a a quantity of three or four relationships they've they've successfully been involved in and you tie the micro-credential around an area of expertise that they've supported through their mentoring so we're we're looking at that and seeing how we can recognize that service and transform it into a learning experience that they can talk about. I think the micro-credential, one of the big benefits is that it's another tool to talk with your potential employer about what you can do. That's certainly how we intend it, as something that you can leverage to develop your brand and to talk about your experience and your your skills.
2: And now you've referenced the... Educause professional pathways, this, this idea that you can really help your, your learners, your, your members, your audience sort of make their way uh, along particular paths within the, the professions that Educause serves. And I assume that you know, micro-credentialing and, and mentoring certainly tie into that. Can you, can you tell us a, a bit more about those professional pathways?
0: Yes. Yeah. So the Pathways work for us has been almost like a mini capstone over all of the growth and development that we've done in our professional learning portfolio. And anybody can go visit the Pathways. It's an open site at pathways.educause.edu. And what you'll find there is really just what it sounds like. You can look at what the pathway might be, starting for a professional in four different areas. Uh, and these are based around the areas that our community identified. These pathways were developed pretty rigorously with input from the community, from input from our research, focus groups, all, all kinds of things. And not, not just our senior professionals, but even in some ways, more importantly, new and mid-level professionals And so the four areas that the community identified were information security, information technology, innovation, and teaching and learning. And each of those areas is at three different career levels that we simply call early, mid and late. And so within there, within like the early career has three levels. The mid includes two levels and late career includes another two levels. So, As you are browsing through there, you might, uh, and, and the site is rich with a few resources that I'll mention too, but as you're browsing through there, you will see some information about what this early level in a pathway is like at a glance. It'll tell you a little bit about the education you need, what you might be responsible for. And this next feature is probably one of the most valuable, and that is sample positions. And it was also one of the most challenging areas to develop. So here you'll see a sample, not comprehensive and not exhaustive, different kinds of positions that professionals at that level in that pathway in higher education might have, along with sample salary ranges. And this is really where we're kind of teaching people to fish, right? You may not find what you're looking for in the five or six positions we found, but we're gonna send you to active job descriptions. Each of these positions has a link out to various job sites. So there they can refine their search and keep going, but it really is a tool to break down any kind of opacity that there may have been about what's next in my role. If I wanna go from information technology to information security, what does that look like? Or if I want to go to teaching and learning, so hopping around in between the pathways, which which does happen, but then also becoming an expert at level, which happens kind of at the advanced and mid-level it CAN. And then also if you want to advance. And one thing I'll note is the pathways are not named for the senior most position. Originally, when we started this work, we thought we'd call it like the pathway to the CIO, Right. But the more and more we talked to people, we heard that there was a lot of variation in what those goals were. Some people didn't know. Some people knew quite specifically that they did not want to become a CIO. (laughs) So we we really just wanted to give them a tool to empower them and and let them see the full breadth and and menu of opportunities and, and really be able to take action. And that's the last area. There's a few others, but One of the areas that is seeded throughout the entire site is something called take action. And that is very discreet things that somebody can do today, take the next step in developing themselves. And some of it is there's a cost associated with it, but a lot of it is free. So it's a very rich resource site that we really hope will break down barriers and just help people take control over what they want to do with their careers. (laughs)
2: How did you determine, you know, what went into the pathways? You obviously got a lot of input, you know, from your various stakeholders. But I mean, for example, is there are there competency models underlying this or is it more just descriptive of what you're seeing out there in, in the employment world? How did you figure out the, the components of each pathway?
0: Yeah, in a few different ways. Some of it came by doing a pretty thorough survey of different positions at each level. And then some of those classic skills start to come through. Common skills, I should say. For instance, it's pretty common to see some kind of data analysis, understanding of data, working with data as a, as a skill set across all levels. The skill just changes. It's also pretty common to see things like project management and change management and finance, things like that. So we identified, kind of extrapolated a core set of skills that really guide people. It's just a matter of what level do you need to begin to demonstrate that skill, depending on where you are. That was a really big part of it. And then the other part is when you go to look at those job descriptions, that's data today. That, that's not anything that's going to get old because we have um, seeded searches for each of those job descriptions. So if you're looking for an instructional designer role, for instance, you would go there and click on the link and it would take you to a few different search engines where you can see what people are looking for who are hiring for that job today. So like I said, kind of teaching people to fish and then you curate and create your plan hopefully with your supervisor or a mentor, and we have toolkits for both of those, to start thinking about how you're going to get those skills. Because now you have something to work from, something tangible. And you'd be amazed at how many people just don't know what the next two or three jobs look like. So I think this, I'm hopeful this will give them a roadmap to begin to at least start knowing what to ask for on the job, right? I mean, you have to be able to articulate what you need for somebody to be able to look for opportunities to give you that, a stretch opportunities or through volunteering. That's why volunteering, I think, is so important. So this is kind of the roadmap that brings it all together.
2: And it may be too early to, to tell this at, at this point, but um, do you see any evidence that employers might essentially be aligning their job descriptions with the job descriptions that you've created for these, these pathways?
0: We've gotten some some comments about that. And, and what I'll say is, you know, this isn't exhaustive. One of the challenges with higher education, maybe other sectors too, is that there's so much diversity in the job. Even a job that looks the same is not because the context is different. The size of the teams might be different. The responsibilities. I mean, there's so much variation. And that's why there's also a lot of variation in the pay. So you know, that this isn't exhaustive. You do have to personalize and customize it down to where you want to be. Do you want to work at a large public institution? Do you want to work for the private sector? That There is a lot of personalization that goes into kind of developing your plan. But at least here, you've got the basic building blocks that you can leverage on your own or with somebody, and we help you find that somebody through the mentoring program to start putting that together. And I, I just think that's kind of a unique value thing that that a lot of organizations don't have. We've tried really hard to kind of put together those big building blocks, and show them how to use them so that you can be empowered to do that for yourself.
2: And you mentioned that, you know, people may jump from pathway to pathway. I mean, have you built, I guess, you know, bridges or, or, or crosswalks that uh, kind of make that easy to, to do or make them, you know, see how they can do that?
0: Yes, yeah, and you know, I mentioned earlier that transparency and information here is sort of been the underpinning of this work. And so as you're going through the information technology pathway, maybe you don't really know as an early to mid professional what it looks like to be in the cybersecurity space. You know, maybe you've heard about it, but you don't know anybody that works over there. This gives you a way to start exploring other options and in the pathway you'll, you'll see kind of seeded throughout, oh, take a look at you know what other things you might wanna do if you wanna work as an innovation professional. And then we hop them over to that side and they can see a whole new set of requirements and also see the things that they have already in common with those kinds of professionals, things they already have, or even better things that differentiate them from somebody who maybe hasn't come from another background we all know that those diverse backgrounds can really give somebody a leg up when they're looking for other jobs so yeah and this is only the beginning I think you know this has only been out for a couple months and just yesterday somebody said oh you should build a data professionals pathway for higher education I was like oh yeah we should do that you know that's that's great that's an emerging field and Wouldn't it be great to give somebody an idea of what it means to be a data professional in higher ed? So we really are keeping our ears and eyes open for what's next in this work.
2: Well, that's interesting because I think it is probably a great magnet in a way for those types of conversations because if, you know, whether it's people in the profession or employers, when they see that you've developed these kind of pathways, it probably does start people's wheels turning and and they're going to come to you much more actively then and say... Hey, you know we've we've seen how you've been able to do th- this and describe this particular path through our profession. What about this path? And then this is what would be really valuable for us in that path. So that you know you, you're suddenly open to receiving probably data that you may not have uh, otherwise. So that 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 seems like a great side of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Now I know many organizations are starting at least to think about uh, this concept of pathways and and the. You know the leadership they can provide as learning providers. What advice would you give to organizations that you know haven't gotten started yet and want to to go down this road?
0: I will say that there's a lot of resources, external resources, contractors that are good at this and have experience with it, and also that it's a way for you to differentiate yourself as an organization. I think all um, associations, really, regardless of what kind you are, have. A professional they serve, maybe multiple like we do. And so th- this is really worth the effort both to help you as an organization organize and manage your content and your programs and services, because this is a kind of an, an organizer for an organization, but also to help your external community do that as well. And this serves the leadership in an organization because they they have a vested interest in helping their teams understand how they fit together and the skills that are needed, the diverse skills that are needed in a team and where the next steps are, right? That's a basic retention principle is what's next for me. Let me help you figure that out and give you the opportunity to stay interested and engaged while you're growing and developing as much as it is for the individual professional to do themselves. So I, I don't see where an organization could go wrong in, in doing this kind of a work. And I think you know one other th- piece of advice is when you do this work, you'll discover there's a lot of things that you don't have, and that's great because I think that gives you a roadmap to what what gaps you have and what what you still need to develop and what you need to clean up. Because we had a lot of the pieces in place, but some of them were kind of messy, and it wasn't clear to the individual member where they fit in or why they should become engaged in such an activity, and so. We took this approach that we kind of call the three C's to source our portfolio, and that is to curate something. So organize it for your community to help make sense of it, to create it. There are some things that don't exist, and you're going to have to invest to to make it. And other is to commission, to have someone else put it together for you and to organize it. And an example of this is one of the things we recognize as we are doing this work is that we're not really in the advanced credentialing business. We offer micro-credentials, but we don't offer like a PMP or some of the other cybersecurity certifications that are very important to the community or even the IT certifications. And so as a result of this work, we contracted with an external training firm that does do this certification work. And we were able to work with them to offer our members a discount for a pretty big portfolio of several hundred types of technical trainings that we never intend to get in the business of offering, but it rounds out our portfolio. So that was a need we identified and I'm excited to try it. It's an experiment for us, but I think other organizations will discover similar needs and then they'll have the happy challenge of figuring out how to meet it and how to experiment with meeting those needs for their community.
2: We're now, we hope, we really hope, uh, emerging from the global pandemic that's had such a you know, huge impact on all of us over the, the past couple of years. I'm wondering in what ways is EDUCAUSE now taking stock and, and perhaps approaching the future differently than it might have if there hadn't been a pandemic?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of us are in this boat. I've been reminded of how exciting it is to innovate and develop, but also how tiring it is. And we've been since 2020 in a pretty rapid accelerated development mode. And I think this year, not that we're stopping to try and develop new things, but I think we're gonna go back and fine tune what we've been developing and make sure that we're maintaining the things that we developed, some, some of them very quickly and make those quality adjustments that are needed. It's really important to kind of build in those those times in your development to kind of go back and and reevaluate and and adjust. The other thing I think that we're really thinking about is um, using data a lot more intelligently. So one of the things we built in the last year is a dashboard for our products and services that help us to aggregate the data and quickly generate reports on what's going well and what isn't. And that includes financial data, satisfaction data, engagement data, so we can answer the questions of who who is engaged and in what, to what extent are we serving different communities and different levels of professionals, just to make sure that we are uncovering in a timely manner what those new opportunities are. And for audiences that are underserved, one of the really positive outcomes from this work is Going online has allowed us to scale in the way that you cannot do when you're face-to-face. And the financial risk of serving people virtually is much lower. And we have been able to reach a new audience, which is the new professional, in an an exponential way that we have never been able to do before, because those folks sometimes don't have the, the kind of funding and time to travel like some of the more senior professionals don't make assumptions, go back and check the data. You're probably going to be surprised. I know we were. And so it's kind of going back to best practices and it's hard because you sometimes don't have a chance to do that, but to make time, to build that into your regular processes and your systems so that you're aware of what, what really is happening and you can take advantage of those opportunities.
2: I think a lot of organizations are going to be going down that evaluation, re-evaluation, refinement type path at this point, or at least they should be. And, and of course, you, you do need data to do that. So, you know, hopefully most learning businesses have been able to, because of things going online, been able to get maybe more solid data than they've had in the past and, uh, and across a larger swath of their audience than perhaps they've been able to in the past. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, the organizational level. If, if you're willing, you know, I'd love to hear it at the individual level, you know, how are you... Whether personally or professionally or both, maybe also taking stock and, and thinking about approaching the future a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know about others. I I feel like I've had unprecedented opportunity to grow and learn and develop in ways that I haven't really before. I've been very lucky to have a supervisor who's really supportive of experimenting. I think that that's so critical because it's not it's not always going to go well, but if you know, if you don't try, you're never gonna know. And we have uncovered so many opportunities just by trying. So, and now, you know, that things are kind of a little bit slowing down with the pandemic, I think just making that time to rest and get your head out of work, going back to professional development. And a lot of us had to put all of that on hold and talking about our experiences, that's been really rewarding and interesting, too. There's been There's just been a lot of dynamic growth in the learning business as a whole in higher education, as well as in associations and even in the private sector. So I think being able to connect with other colleagues and, and share has been really valuable. So those are some of the things that I think helped me recharge. And nothing is more rewarding than success. So I we've been it's just been so exciting to see growth and thing getting things done like the pathway site and watching the community take advantage of it. That's that's really, really rewarding too. Well,
2: it is so true. And it's it's really, you know, one of the silver linings in all of this that whenever you go through a time that's as challenging as, as the last couple of years was it's going to be a huge learning experience. There's just you know so much opportunity for sharing how we've all navigated it, and you know what we what we've learned in the process, and how we can all help each other out with those lessons going forward. Now, I always like to ask when I've got uh, somebody in, in a role like yours at an organization like yours on on the show, uh, you know, what are the the emerging trends? that you're focused on right now that you feel are going to impact or, or maybe are, you know, already impacting the learning business, you know, and that can be directly or indirectly. I mean, we've touched on things like micro-credentialing, mentoring, the work you're doing with Pathways, but other areas, what other trends really have you excited right now?
0: Well, one thing that we're experimenting, I I mentioned at the beginning this idea of face-to-face, when are we going to go back to in-person? And we do get that question. I'm sure all of us do is, okay, now that the pandemic is winding down, when can we expect to go back to in-person? And, you know, I I think the challenge is what offerings make sense in person? What do people really want to do in person? We we have opted for a couple of things. One is looking at more of social engagements in person rather than intense immersive learning. And people have loved that so far. That's worked out really well. You can't plan, you know, next year based on last year because we're still in such a, such a rapidly changing environment. So who knows? It might not work next year, right? But the other thing is, we are building one of our executive programs that's been kind of on hiatus for a while, and we're building that to be a hybrid program, and it has a required in person element to it. So that is something to try. And I think that's not really a trend, but in the past, it seems like we were either face-to-face or online. And I'm really interested in seeing how this hybrid model works in terms of affordability and the learning experience. What should we be doing face-to-face that we can't do online? What's the timing of the in-person portion? And so it's a little bit going back to basics of the learning design. So I think now more than ever, Having learning professionals on our teams or at least having access to them um, in some form is really important. But much more intentional learning design is important now. And being really thoughtful about what you do with your online programs moving forward and how you retain them, if you are going to retain them.
1: Veronica Diaz is Director of Professional Learning at Educause. You can find links to the Educause website and Veronica's profile on LinkedIn in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 308. And you're welcome to email Veronica directly at vdiez at educause.com. She welcomes the chance to talk, compare notes, and learn with others.
2: At leadinglearning.com slash episode 308, you'll also see options for subscribing to the podcast. And we'd be grateful if you would subscribe if you haven't yet, as subscriptions give us some data on the impact of the podcast.
1: We'd also be grateful if you would rate us on Apple Podcasts, especially if you find the Leading Learning Podcast valuable. Jeff and I personally would appreciate it, and reviews and ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash apple to leave a rating.
2: Lastly, please spread the word about the Leading Learning Podcast. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 308, there are links to find Leading Learning on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook.
1: Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.